Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We have moved now from John chapter 14 into chapter 15. And we have come to that well-known section about the vine and the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit, and so forth. A great section, and one that is very instructive, but also one that has some puzzling elements when it comes to interpreting it. And we always want to interpret carefully, and it is always our goal to interpret accurately. But there are sections in God's Word where that's quite challenging, and this is one of them, particularly in the element of identifying exactly who these branches are that Jesus is talking about. Are they all true believers? Some who bear fruit and some who do not? Some who therefore are cut off? and others that are pruned so that they might bear more fruit? Or are these professing believers, some of them genuine and some of them counterfeit, and they are manifested by their fruit or lack thereof? The genuine ones produce fruit and are pruned to produce more fruit. The counterfeit ones do not bear fruit and are cut off from the vine. That would seem to be the most um, obvious explanation, and yet that interpretation, too, raises a few questions, and we started dealing with them on the broadcast last Sunday, and we'll continue doing so today. Thank you for joining me on this Sunday, November 20, and many thanks to those whose financial gifts keep us teaching God's Word on this station. Let me read John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We left the broadcast last week trying to nail down the proper understanding of, or the proper identity might be the best way to put it, of these branches. The vine dresser has 
two activities in regard to the branches. Toward fruitless branches, he removes them. Toward fruitful branches, he prunes them so that they may bear more fruit. But the question is, what does the branch represent? As I've already mentioned, is this true believers, some fruitful, some not, or professing believers, some true and some false? And that, of course, also ties in with what does taking away represent? He who, or every branch of me, rather, who does not bear fruit, he takes away. Remove from the vine, remove from Jesus Christ. And later we read in verse 6, thrown away and dries up and gathered and burned. And that, of course, then raises questions about the doctrine of eternal security, the security of the believer. Is this passage teaching falling from grace, that is, that it is possible for a true believer to lose his salvation? And some people teach it, and this would be one of the texts that they would look to to support their position. See here, they would say, and you can tell my position by the fact that I'm putting this position in the lips of others, but they would say, see here, here are branches that are all connected to the vine. They're all believers. They They all have a connection to Jesus Christ, but some of them do not produce fruit and therefore lose their connection. They lose their salvation after having been saved. But that does raise questions, and if you take the position that the branches refer to all true believers, then what you have, number one, is some true believers who bear no fruit. That seems to contradict other statements of Christ, as, for example, in Matthew thirteen twenty-three, where he tells us that when the good seed of the word springs up, it produces a crop some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, but Christ does not mention the possibility of a no-fold plant. Every plant that comes from the good seed, in other words, everyone who's a true believer, bears some fruit, though not all, in the same proportion, the same amount. So that does become a problem. If some True believers bear no fruit, then you have true believers who lose their salvation, are ultimately severed from Christ, lose divine life, and are cut off from God and destroyed. That, of course, would be the interpretation of some and would support what they teach about about security, that security is not ironclad. However, on the other hand, and that, that particular interpretation that I just described, does not seem to me to be a possible possible one, but this passage does have to, requires us to consider it. But if you interpret branches to be professing believers, some true, some false, then you have to deal with that phrase in me, in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So if you are saying, Greg Barkman, that this represents not true believers, but professing believers, some true, some counterfeit, then how do you explain that term in me? 
can a counterfeit believer, someone who professes to be a Christian but is not truly born again, never regenerated by the Spirit of God, can they be described as someone who is in Christ? Doesn't the very act of the new birth, the act of regeneration, place us in Christ? And those who are in Christ, therefore, are in the category of those who are truly saved? And so it would seem. But I'm suggesting that in this particular context, the phrase in me must be understood as something less than vital union with Christ. It is describing what we might call a close connection, a close external connection, but not necessarily vital union. And how would I explain that? Well, in the first place, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Israel as the vine in analogy. Now, remember, this is a contrast, and Jesus is saying Israel is not the true vine. She thinks she is, but she's not. I, Jesus Christ, am the true vine. But in the Old Testament, Israel is many times portrayed as the vine. But what do we know about Israel? Talking now about national Israel, corporate Israel. Talking about all of the people that are physical descendants of Abraham and who are identified with the Old Covenant and who are circumcised and so forth and are considered, according to many Old Testament passages, to be the vine, the vineyard of God. I quoted the verse last week from Jeremiah. Let me see if I can put my eyes on that again. Jeremiah 2.21, where God said through the prophet, Yes, I had planted you a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then are you turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? Now listen to what I'm trying to explain, what I'm trying to suggest. Israel is called the vine. Israel is the vineyard of God. All of them, but all of them are not saved. That seems to be parallel to what we find here. When Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Thinking in terms of Old Testament Israel, that's not difficult to interpret in terms of professing believers versus genuine believers, all the Old Testament people of God who remained within the covenant community, who were circumcised and remained within the covenant community, would all fall into the category of professing believers, but we know good and well that a great many of them were not truly saved. So we could say all of them were part of the vine, all of them were in the vine, all of them were connected to the vine, but not all of them were truly saved. And so many of them were purged. No, not purged. That's that's an action that applies to true believers. Many of them were removed. They were taken away, even though they were in the vine. That would be one Analogy that would help to explain what I find here in verse 2, or think in terms of Judas Iscariot. Could it be said in any way that Judas was in Christ? Well, not in vital union, not in salvation, not in regeneration, but 
he in in close identification he was he was so close to Christ that even the other apostles did not suspect him of being the traitor even when Christ identified him as the traitor his external connection to Christ his external identification with Christ was so strong and so convincing that nobody suspected him of not being a true believer. So Judas is an example of what Christ means here, in me. Not in me in vital saving union, but in me in close connection. And I think the language of verses 4 through 6 helps bear that out. And I'll go back and read those, those again. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So yes, this is challenging language. Yes, it is understandable that some would take this to represent all true believers and then conclude on the basis of that that interpretation that the branches all represent true believers, that it is possible for true believers to bear no fruit and to be chastened because of it. But it seems to me that the language goes in a different direction. It's possible to be connected to Christ in an external sense, in a, in a professing sense, in a visible sense, but because there is no fruit, then evidently there is no life. It's like, and this might be a way of thinking about it in terms of branches, it's like a branch on a tree Where the branch is dead, the tree is still living. It's clear that that branch has no life. There's no life-giving sap flowing from the tree into that branch. The branch is dead. I have, well, we've all had trees like that, no doubt, and I have a couple of them in my yard right now where I need to get out there and cut off some dead branches. They are just, um, well, they're useless and they need to be removed. No life within them. They are in the tree in the sense that they're connected to it externally, but they are not in the tree in the sense that there is any life-giving power flowing from the tree into the branch. The branch is dead, and I think that's what Christ is talking about. My conclusion, therefore, is that the term in me must be interpreted in keeping with the figurative language of a parabolic analogy. The in me represents external appearance without inward reality. The in me represents a profession with no inward life. The in me represents a present and apparent condition, but it is not the true condition. There is no life flowing into that branch. And therefore, my conclusion in trying to interpret the various elements of this extended analogy in the light of other scriptures so that we are interpreting scripture by scripture 
and hopefully arriving, therefore, at the correct interpretation. My understanding of this passage is that it's teaching this. If there is no fruit, there is no salvation, no matter what the surface claim may be, what the external appearance may be. There are many people who are members of churches and active in churches. I'm not talking simply about people who are members of churches, but they have virtually become inactive. In that case, I think it's easier to, to question the reality of their profession of faith. They claim to be a Christian on the basis of that claim. They have become a member of the visible church, but they don't attend church. They aren't involved in the ministries of the church. They, in some cases, don't darken the door of the church for years on end, but they maintain this external connection. Their, member, their name is still on the membership roll, and they are technically members of the church in circles of congregationally governed churches where members vote on matters. There are horror stories about churches where somebody, perhaps a new pastor, is trying to bring about some change in a right direction, some some uh, new vitality, some... some uh, spiritual progress, and so something is proposed which the majority of people seem to be in favor of, but there's a strong minority who are opposed to it. And so when the day of the vote arrives, lo and behold, you find people present to vote that haven't darkened the door of the church for years. But there they are. They've been rounded up by these negative active members who know who the inactive members are, and they have rounded them up and brought them in, and their, their names are still on the roll. They're still members, and they still have voting privileges, which, of course, points to a whole other problem. They should have been removed. No fruit. They need to be removed. And that's what Jesus is saying here, but I'm talking about, even though we can see that these inactive members give scant evidence of conversion, and it might be easier to convince people that they have never truly been born again, though there are going to be some people that will argue vehemently against that conclusion. But I'm talking about people who are members of churches and active in churches who have never been born again. Those are the hard ones. Because their external connection is not, what should I say? It's not, um, it's not questionable. They are members and they attend. They are members and they serve in various capacities. They are members, and they are involved. They, they are members, and they sing in the choir. They are members, and they teach Sunday school classes, at least children's classes, and maybe even occasionally, in some, some cases, adult classes. Though I'm not sure what they teach. If they're not truly born again, they can't have much understanding of God's Word. But they are members, and if you just look at their 
external connections, their external activities, you would have to say they are in me, but speaking of being in Christ. And they are in the sense that Christ is using it here, not in the sense that we would normally use that phraseology. We would say, if they're not saved, they are not in Christ. And they're not in the sense that we generally use that term, but I'm suggesting that in this case, that term in me is used in a different way. And so we look at them and we have to say, well, they they appear to be in Christ. They are in the church. They're active in the church. They They maintain a reasonably credible profession of faith, but now let's start looking for true spiritual fruit. Are they acting like believers in their expressions of love for one another? Do they have the joy of the Lord? Do they demonstrate the peace of God in their hearts? Are they patient and long-suffering? Do they demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Or are they people who are have a sharp tongue and are gossips and slanderers and are wrapped up in themselves? They're more interested in showing off than anything else. And when you really start analyzing true spiritual fruit, not just these external connecting matters that connecting to the church, that can be produced without true spiritual life. It is possible to be a member of a visible church and to be active in the affairs of the visible church and not to be born again. And that's what I'm suggesting here. But if there is no spiritual fruit... There is no salvation, no matter what the surface claim or external appearance may be. Those Christ will identify as counterfeits. Those Christ will expose as fruitless. Those Christ will take away. He is the one who's going to do this. The Father is going to do this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, the Father, prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, what is pruning? Well, pruning is the forcible removal not of the branch, it remains connected to the vine, but the forcible removal of excess foliage and unproductive elements for the purpose of more fruit-bearing. And when we're applying this to believers, we recognize that this purging is often painful and is generally considered undesirable. We'd like to avoid it, if possible, but it is ultimately blessed and exceedingly desirable. It hurts. It hurts to be purged. It hurts to be pruned. But it lops off the unproductive elements in our life that need to be removed 
so that we can be more fruitful. It's the ongoing work of progressive sanctification in which God the Holy Spirit is taking away those parts of our life that are still operating in accordance with the old nature and need to be continually subdued and removed and in its place are putting larger and larger manifestations of the new measure of the new nature so that this person is growing in grace and over a period of time is becoming more Christ-like. We are being conformed to the image of his Son by this very process. Now, the cleansing of verse 3, I think, has to be understood as salvation. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And that takes us back to chapter 13 in the foot-washing episode where Christ said exactly the same thing about washing their feet. You're already clean, you're already saved, but you need daily washing. You need daily confession of sins. You need need to be washed, but you don't need to be totally bathed. That's already taken place. And so, we get a better picture of what salvation involves here. And we get a better picture of what it means to abide in Christ. And going back to verse 4, Jesus commands his disciples to abide in him. It's a command. Abide in, in me. Which would be another way of pointing to the, the in me not representing, in this particular context, not representing true salvation, but close connection and external profession, because in what sense can it be said that anyone can join himself to Christ, abide in Christ in that fashion? We can't do that. The Holy Spirit has to make that connection. But if we're thinking in terms of those who are joined to Christ, holding firm, remaining determined to maintain that connection, then we have a command that makes sense. And Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And so there's a responsibility that is placed upon the believer to, what shall we say, to strengthen his connection to Christ. Abide in me and keep abiding in me. Abide in me and cling more closely to me. Abide in me recognizing that this connection to me, is absolutely essential. It's essential for your salvation, for your soul's welfare. But in the words of this text, it is essential for your fruit-bearing. If you're going to bear fruit, you've got to stay connected to me. You can't be like that dead branch that has an external connection but no life flowing through and therefore no fruit produced, 
and therefore will be lopped off and as a dead branch thrown into the fire and burned. But if you are a living branch, then hang in there, hold on tight, recognize your need of me, recognize that only in me and the life that flows from me into you can you bear fruit and Without me, you can do nothing, but in me, you can do these things. You can bear this fruit that I desire of you. And so, this is your responsibility, believer, to cultivate a strengthening connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next Lord's Day, this is Greg Barkman, Bible teacher on the Beacon Broadcast, saying good day. May God give you His eternal peace.